0: Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Nick.
1: And I'm Shannon.
0: And we are your co-hosts. And today, I'm back at it again with a little more kitchen magic. So this, I believe, is the second time we've officially covered kitchen magic. Um, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, maybe make it a yearly thing, State of the Kitchen 2022. How does that, how does that hey. strike you?
1: Look, I feel like we talk about kitchen stuff so much that it really only makes sense that we would have like an annual, like official conversation about it. And I'm like excited to talk about my magic this week because my hands smell very strongly of garlic and turmeric and ginger, which we'll get into. Um, But today I'm talking about a super popular herb in herbalism. And it really, I think, can only be described as a heavy hitter plantain. But I'm also going to do like an official introduction to Jiang Kecht, who is um, the, the physician of the Tua Dadanen. And I swear to God, someone had talked to us about covering him at some point. And I can't find who it was. So if you are the person who at one point suggested this, here you go. I'm so sorry. I couldn't find where it was. though. But I swear to God, I had talked to somebody about this. And I was like, oh, we're totally doing it. And now I can't give them credit. So I'm sorry. I love whoever you are.
0: Love that. Um, But before we get into all of that, I'm going to go ahead and ask, um, when did you feel the magic this week?
1: Uh, You know, it was today. So I took a mental health day because um, this is like the first holiday season since my sister died. So I am like sad and guys being a grown up is about taking care of yourself and your mental health. So what I did today was I made up a big batch of fire cider and I felt so fucking magical. I was just like chopping chilies and horseradish and like turmeric and ginger. And like, it feels so much like alchemy to make it. And then like just shaking it all up and getting like getting ready and like storing it away and then in two weeks I'm gonna like ruin Eric's night by giving them a shot of it because it'll drain everything from your sinuses so it was just nice to like get into the kitchen and be making brews you know kind of like getting in there with all my herbs I added some like elderberries and nettles to it which aren't like traditional but like I think they make good sense for it so that was really and that felt really special and then I've also been like just sort of getting into my new, like The Many Moons Lunar Planner by Sarah Faith Godestiner came out, which I kind of talked about in our Patio Lady segment earlier for Patreon. But, you know, that's been fun. But really it was like, the most magical I felt was like in the kitchen. Like my hands are going to smell like garlic and horseradish and ginger for 800 years now. And you can't see it in the lighting, but my fingers are totally yellow.
0: So oh, from, from the turmeric?
1: yeah. So yeah, my so God. that was it. You know, it's it fire cider is like so good for you, but something about it does feel like just so much like you're making a potion.
0: No, and I, I love uh now th- tell me, this is the one where you're doing it in cider vinegar for a couple weeks, right?
1: Yeah, so it goes in raw apple cider vinegar. So the there's like 10 billion recipes, but I kind of like made my own based on the things that I like to work with so there's a bunch of rosemary there's a full onion a whole head of garlic one metric fuck ton of like fresh chopped ginger fresh turmeric fresh horseradish I put elderberries in it fresno chilies and then nettles and a couple of like sliced lemons and then I've got it in like one of my big ass jars and then you just completely cover it in raw apple cider vinegar and shake it up Uh, always, by the way, if, if anyone's listening to this, if you're making things that are in like alcohol or a vinegar base, put a piece of parchment between the top of your mason jar and your lid so you're not like causing weird erosion with the alcohol and the acid. Anyway, so then you just cover it up, put it in the pantry, shake it every day. And it's like two to four weeks. So normally what I would do is like, strain off a little bit after two weeks and then just kind of like strain it off as needed so the other stuff can just keep getting like stronger and stronger and stronger and you can put like a little bit of like raw local honey in it and just take it like a shot or I am I'm going to talk about a soup I want to make but you can add like a shot of it to soup too Mm. and cuz it's like fucking spicy. And I don't know about you, but like it's heartburn city for me to take a shot of like super spicy anything these days because I am a my my esophagus and my gut are 31 and I'm feeling it. So I like to like put it in stuff. So either like dilute it a lot in like a tea or throw it into something you're eating. But that's that's my general firesider recipe. Although really like any variation, there's ten billion recipes for it online.
0: No, I have definitely heard heard about this one. I've heard about this one before.
1: yeah, but what about you, Nick? When were you feeling the magic?
0: Well, I will say um not to this was already gonna be it, but I, it was nice having my sisters in town this weekend. um it's nice that we're all like grown up now and we can kind of meet each other on that level um I will say we had the best dinner Friday night, and y'all know I espouse some Dionysian principles. So be it. Um, but literally, just having a good meal and a few bottles of wine with like the people that you love, yeah, it's, like
1: it's a big deal.
0: Like there's there's vibes that go into it beyond that, no doubt, no doubt.
1: Yeah. I love that. I also love that your sisters were there this weekend because it was my sister's birthday on Saturday. So when I was, like, seeing your pictures, I was like, oh, it's sister weekend.
0: Right, right, right.
1: Because I was texting Morgan, too. So it's cute.
0: But it was just kind of like, you know, it's that kind of dead space between Thanksgiving and Christmas where it's like, especially with our family being as broken up as it is, yeah we're not we're not at each other's actual holidays uh nor would that ever be the expectation so it's nice to just kind of make your own make your own holidays that's yeah i'm i'm a big fan of that
1: oh hundo p i love it well i i think we can like jump into it because it is the holiday season which means um we're all fucking busy and tired and it's late our patreon people can see we're recording at night i'm also in a different direction so y'all can maybe like see my face a little bit because um i always feel i get so pale if i'm just like lit by the like just the computer like this it's like Yeah, you
0: need need a little warm lighting no i definitely have (laughs) yeah my like yellowest light on in my room because same
1: Yeah. Um, So I'm excited about this one though, guys, because I, this is one that I don't work with a lot, but it keeps coming up in stuff that I'm like reading and coming up in like my herb crafter tarot deck. So I'm like, fuck, I feel like I need to. Um, So plantain, right? This is a big topic. Okay. I'm going to do my best to like, keep it relatively brief, no promises, but it's like a really great lung health ally. And it's like, perfectly eatable which is why I thought it made sense in the kitchen magic episode but also because it's that time of year right like everyone is congested I feel like I start getting congested in like November and we'll just be that way through early February I mean that's my life but uh We're talking about Plantago, um, in particular, the species like Lanceolata and Plantago Major. So it's the namesake of the Plantagenaceae family, which we have talked about recently because it comes from plantain, but because of the way it's spelled, Plantagenaceae, it just makes me think of like plant family, and it always makes me laugh because I'm an idiot child. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it has some fun common names, including Englishman's foot, White Man's Footsteps, which we'll talk about in a moment, Ribwort, waybread, and my personal favorite, Snakeweed, which sounds fun. I,
0: um, would, I would smoke Snakeweed.
1: I feel like if you smoke Snakeweed, you have to, like, be in a hut and, like, a bad comedy and trip balls.
0: Well, I also feel like Snakeweed, it, it has to be carried in the mouth Like the snake has to bring it to you. And like a snake doesn't have hands, right? So they have to carry it in their mouth and kind of drop it off and say, these are my gifts. These are my gifts. Um, (laughs) and then when you smoke it, you get visited by the devil.
1: Um, okay, I'm on board. So that's what we're doing when I come to (laughs) visit you. (laughs) Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna find a snake. Um, so it's most likely native to Eurasia. But it's all over the damn place now. So like when you look at online monographs, they have like the geographic distribution and it's just noted as, and I quote, worldwide.
0: No, not Mr. Worldwide, like Pitbull.
1: Oh yeah, Plantain. Pitbull ain't got shit on (laughs) Plantain, Mr. Worldwide. So that um, very curious name, White Man's Footsteps, comes from the fact that like Plantain has literally followed along in the footsteps of colonizers so like as white people showed up so did plantain it would like come to the party and then naturalize but then on a nicer note it's also a plant that is like super resilient even when downtrodden so like take that white guy's foot um but it is like that's the thing it's like the path for it kind of traveling around the world it follows colonizing which um that's a thing but what does it look like plantain um it's a perennial and its leaves are in like a basal rosette usually between like five to seven leaves they're lance shaped um we're talking lanceolata is one of the major species and they have like super distinct fibrous parallel veins um if if you think about the way a peace lily looks you know and even with the flowers it it really does have that kind of leaf vibe the basil rosette is like everything comes up from the middle and kind of like spirals out real prettily So um, when you pick the leaves, you'll see a kind of gross looking, uh, stretchy white thread as the leaves separate. Um, But not to worry, that's just the mucilage, which is disgusting. That's a disgusting word. Uh, Moving on. The flower, it's a spike of hermaphroditic flowers. It gets up to about like 15 inches tall, and then it like has seed capsules that form on it. The flower spike it's kind of like what you see on peace lilies again, if you're having a hard time visualizing it, but this, the seeds will get a little bit bigger. So it almost reminds me of like, if you've seen like amaranth growing, like fresh amaranth, the way it kind of like grows up and then they'll droop over a little bit. So it, they're not like flowers as you would traditionally think of them though. And the, the plantain seeds actually like Spread in kind of an interesting way. So, like the seed coat has polysaccharides, and they absorb moisture, which makes the seeds sticky. So then they like adhere to animals or people, and hitch a ride. They like get stuck to you like glue. But I I love plantain for um, another big reason, and that's kind of the badass ecological role that it plays. So it comes up a lot in like disturbed soil areas. And it's cool because it's one of those ways that like nature kind of counteracts people's fuckery. So plantains can like revitalize disturbed, but also compacted soil. So as plantains spread, the fibrous roots break up like hard compressed soils and they have like a very strong taproot, all the like dandelions, but then they have like another network of roots that kind of like break up like overly compressed soils but then all of those roots also hold the earth in place and prevent erosion and it's considered a weed by some folks but like really they they play a very important role and it's kind of new to think about them that way um but you'll often see them like in nature on like creek beds as well like thinking about the erosion issue they do like to be relatively moist some species so anyway It does produce a shit ton of seeds, so you can totally grow your own plantain, even if you don't have a creek. You can just direct sow them in the spring. So the seeds are kind of small, so you're going to want to just, like, they call it broadcasting them. You just, like, broadcast them over wherever you want to plant them, sprinkle soil over the top, keep it moist until they sprout, um, and then, like, once they sprout, you kind of, like, let them go. You know, they don't need a whole lot of babysitting. But one suggestion I saw too is like, you can also transplant it. So if you live somewhere where you can find local plantain growing, you can totally like harvest a couple of them like full rooted and transplant them into your garden, which I I love that idea because then you also know it's like something that has evolved to be good for your environment, which is super cool. So I do have to say, if you are going To be harvesting them, though, you need to be very cautious to not take them from places where the soil could be contaminated or exposed to pesticides. Hey, remember, certain species really love like rivers and creek beds. So like you have to be really aware of pollution issues because it's not as simple as being like 50 feet away from a road. You know, sometimes there are like certain creeks and rivers that go through like phases throughout the year where they're more or less polluted, depending on like water levels, certain like contaminants that might be present. Like you really just, you have to do a little bit of legwork if you're gonna be harvesting something like this in nature. So just like, be careful. So harvesting is the end game though. How do we go about that? Well, first the easiest way you can actually harvest like the young leaves in the spring or early summer and they go great in salads. And the way that people normally talk about harvesting them is sort of on, like, an as-needed basis, right? So you can use the fresh ones for first aid, but you can harvest and freeze the leaves, too, to use them later. And, of course, like most things, they can be dried out. You're just going to spread them on, like, a screen or a brown paper, like a piece of brown paper in a warm, dry, shaded area. Turn the leaves daily until they're crisp and then, like, toss any that become black or discolored. And the immature flower spikes can be harvested in early to midsummer, and you can saute them. Like, you can, like, take those stalks and just fucking, like, saute them up in some butter. Mmm, delicious. And then the mature seeds can be harvested in late summer. When you harvest the seeds, you are going to need to dry them before you strip them from the stem. So remember, those seeds are going to get those, like, moist stickiness on the outside of them. Yeah, that's going to make trying to just strip the seeds from the stem kind of difficult. Let them dry first. Do yourself a favor. And then just strip them from the stem, and then you can store them in an airtight container. So, you know, it's like they're pretty straightforward to harvest, but just make sure you're getting them from a good place. So let's talk about medicinal uses. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. Disclaimer. I'm not a doctor. Nick's not a doctor. This podcast is not intended to treat or diagnose anything. Please always talk to your healthcare professionals before starting an herbal regimen. So again, plantain's a heavy hitter. Uh, Shakespeare actually talks about plantain in Romeo and Juliet and in Love's Labor's Lost, just like fun facts. And it was one of the nine holy herbs of the Anglo-Saxons. They called it the Mother of Warts um, our buddy, D'Escortes included it included it in his uh, De Materia Medica. Culpepper loved on it. And he talked about it being in the command of Venus with an antipathy to Mars, which we'll talk about a little bit with magic. But it's a cooling plant, demulcent, and soothing to inflammation, infection, and injuries of the skin, lungs, urinary, and digestive systems. It's also related to psyllium, which is an ingredient in things like Metamucil. It's like got a lot of fiber in it. So you can actually use the seeds of plantain similarly. So ground or whole in water, like you can just mix it into water, like you do metamucil. But you can also use the seeds as a thickener or a binding agent in recipes. Hey, vegans, here's another egg substitute for you for baked goods. Chia seeds are not the end all be all. Um, You can also use them as a substitute for eggs, though, not just if you're vegan, but also to like help your gut right? So these seeds can help soothe your irritated mucous membranes uh, from things like ulcerative colitis, IBS, heyo, Virgos, and constipation. So it's really great for your digestive tract. Um, a Cherokee elder once referred to plantain as the Indian Band-Aid, and it's because it's like a great remedy for things like scrapes, bites, and even insect stings. insect stings. Wow, that's that was surprisingly hard to say. Um, it's It can help like soothe and cool the pain though. And it can also even help with things like poison ivy and sunburn. So the most common way people do this, it's just making a spit poultice for direct application. Um, as someone who has a bit of a phobia around spit, basically you can chew on the leaf and then like put it on your wound and wrap it in another leaf. We're going to move on. I can't talk about that too much. Um, You can also, though, just put a leaf in your sock for things like hot spots, blisters, and plantar fasciitis, which I really want to try because, like, my plantar fasciitis on my left foot is a bitch right now. So I'm like, this is on my list of, like, again, speaking of, like, plantain just showing up in something I apparently need to be working with. Um, The anti-inflammatory and astringent properties, though, do make it useful for things like eczema, rosacea, shingles, varicose veins, and hemorrhoids. And it also has antimicrobial properties, which is why in a lot of parts of the world, they actually use plantain for um, oral health issues. It is also, again, great for your, your urinary tract. So if you're someone that gets like bladder infections or even if you have prostate inflammation, plantain can help with that. And I've read some people suggest that if you have a kid that's dealing with bedwetting, plantain could help. I don't know about that. Some people suggested it, so I'm just pointing it out. Um, And finally, because I have to call it at some point because I could literally keep going. This thing's good at everything. Um, Plantain is a badass when it comes to lung health. So it's what we call an antitussive expectorant. So if you have stagnant phlegm, It helps break that up. So you can use it as like a tea or a syrup to help with things like bronchitis, laryngitis, allergic asthma. But you can also use the tea or the tincture to help you quit smoking. So they say that it helps curb your desire to smoke and also like helps clean out your lungs at the same time. So as someone who did quit smoking at one point, um, which is fucking hard, you get really congested and cough everything up for a while. So, you know, any help you can get is good. But of a similar vibe, it's often used for things like allergies or hay fever because it's like super good for your airways, but also happens to have antihistamine effects. So like, what can't it do? Um, I'm going to end the medicinal segment by pointing out how nutritive it is because I think that's like always something important to remember because it's a great source of like vitamin c carotenoids and even vitamin k and you can eat the leaves but don't forget you can saute those young flower stalks or grind the seeds and add them to porridge mix them with flour uh, for baking or hell just like add it to a beverage so on to the magic obvi we already said it's associated with venus hey yo Cunningham has it associated with the earth element, which fair, but I'm getting like big water vibes from this one too, because there's like so much that's moistening about it. I maybe it is just the mucilage, but it's good for things like healing, protection, strength, and drum roll, please. Repelling snakes. Hey, snake weed. Which, um, which you don't want,
0: which you don't want to do if you want to smoke the snake weed.
1: Exactly. You want to attract the snakes. <clears throat> so again, I mentioned that like you can use it in your shoes for things like plantar fasciitis, but magically they do say it's supposed to help remove weariness. So I think this is like a really great plant to work with if you're on your feet a lot. I love the idea. And Nick, I'm thinking about people like you, like you're on your feet constantly at work, like getting yourself like a pre-work ritual that includes like putting some plantain in your shoes because it's something that can both like metaphysically, but also like physically help your feet because foot health is like hella important, y'all. It's kind of really important to take care of your feet. Um, You can also use the leaves in magical tea blends and planting them around your home can serve as protection. But I was talking about all of the like kind of mucilage you get with it, right? And using it as a thickening agent. So personally, my idea... I want to add it to like a soup. Like my idea is to make a hella magical hot and sour soup, and sweet, and like thicken it with plantain instead of cornstarch, and then add fire cider to it. Like magical and delicious.
0: I I actually I did uh, when when we we're in my segment want to talk a little bit about kind of controversial ingredients that I like, and one of which is gumbo filé, which is sassafras leaf, which is used in gumbo as a thickener, specifically because it has a shit ton of mucilage in it.
1: Well, hey, if you can't get a hold of it, plantain. Plantain's plantain. an alternative.
0: Plantain um, in your gumbo.
1: Of course. Carry it in your pocket to repel snakes. But again, I would not make this your primary anti-snake tool. So, uh, my sources today, Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs, Herbarium, Grow Your Own Herbal Remedies, GardeningKnowHow.com, um, and a deep deep love for hot and sour soup. Um, I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but hot and sour soup is probably my favorite soup in the entire world, and I will eat it no matter what the temperature is outside.
0: That's uh, de- definitely something that I knew, but incredible. <laughs> incredible incredible knowledge, nonetheless.
1: Yes. Hot and sour soup, man. Don't sleep on it. If you haven't had hot and sour soup in a while, do it. It's so good.
0: That actually, de- that actually does sound really good. I was actually thinking about this is this is gonna be my weird segue, but I was thinking about today because it's kind of like my hangover day from having this long weekend with my sisters, where we did two dinners and a Sunday brunch. So, like you know, I was feeling it today. Um, yeah. And I was like, oh, you know, like what do I need to eat to make myself not feel bad? And um, so I I just want to say up top here that I am I'm drinking a Modelo, drinking a Modelo. Hi! Wow. Sponsor, sponsor us, please. And I uh, door dashed my lunch slash early dinner in. So mm-hmm. um, I I just want everyone to know that this is coming from a place of I think uh, humility, where I do not want I do not want to be one of these people that's like on Instagram showing my food off and then people think that like that's like how I eat normally. Um,
1: yeah. Because we're, we're witches who work.
0: Because we're, We don't we're... have
1: help. We're not fucking Gwyneth Paltrow.
0: No, no, not at all. Um, but I do cook a lot. I mean, yeah. I would say, I feel like I cook a lot. But then again, I know people who actually are, like, cooking food every day. And I'm just like, that's psycho to me. Um, I'm just one guy. Sometimes I don't have the time for that. Um, I feel like
1: we, I cook almost every day. But some days, cooking is, like zhuzhing up a Trader Joe's pre-made something like during the week when I'm working. So like, no shame on anyone who's not making fucking like from scratch meals every night because again, you're not a psycho. It's fine.
0: Right, right, right. Well, and but I do, we did want to do this segment though because I feel like, you know, we're kind of between these two big holiday meals. I personally am always doing a lot of cooking around the holidays. I like to do it. It does make me feel sort of connected with my ancestors um in what I feel is a special way, especially like that kind of cooking. And like but I also just want to say like cooking a cooking a holiday meal, cooking a Thanksgiving dinner, um, really is like, you know, I mean, if you think about just the amount of sage that goes into that, like you're 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 purified, honey. Like if you're if you're <laughs> eating if you're eating all the sides and the turkey, you are you are purified from the inside out, no doubt. Uh,
1: yeah, bonus points if you're me and you get to be like, "Oh, the sage! I just grabbed it from my garden." Just,
0: oh, just, fresh, fresh, just fresh from the garden. <laughs> uh, thank you, Ina Garden, the Barefoot Contessa, mm. for making us all feel awful. But strawbot um, is fine. Strawbot is fine, I guess. <laughs> no, love her though. Um, and I actually, I love her aesthetic. I actually think. And I know you guys watched the menu recently. I do think there's room for aesthetics in food, um, but not to the extent that people have pushed it.
1: Yeah, everything doesn't need to be molecular gastronomy. Like, no. I,
0: no. I
1: don't want to see any fucking, like, snows on plates for a while. Like, I feel like that's been the thing for a minute, is, like, making snow out of stuff. And I'm like, no. I don't want powdered like seaweed. Like, it's weird. I don't know. I like food and I think food can be beautiful, but I don't, I don't enjoy when it gets to the point where it feels so intellectual that it's like completely moved away from like being
0: good food. Right, right, right. Uh, and I actually, I do appreciate that as like a conversation that we all got to have after seeing that movie. Um, yeah. So. Uh, All of that to say it is kind of between the two big holiday meals and then people do entertaining for New Year's and it's just like that time of year. You're going to spend some time inside. You might as well be having uh, dinner parties, etc, etc. But so we decided to give Kitchen Witchery her own segment this week. Um, Hey, since This this is not really the first time we've done Kitchen Witchery. Probably not the last time we're going to talk about Kitchen Witchery. I thought it might be kind of fun to go to some niche places with it. Um, especially since food is always changing and evolving. So there's like never going to be a definitive kitchen witch practice or aesthetic. Um, so my perspective is that cooking is inherently magical in nature and not really something where you're having to like find that, you know, cause you get this like sense of grounding. I definitely feel this like ancestral connection and energy. I, I think it also has to do with the fact that like pretty much everything that I have that my grandma gave me, was kitchen stuff or like stuff that's okay to put in a kitchen like my cookie jar that shaped like a little cottage Um, yeah
1: you know I have the creepy clown cookie jar I also have one of our antique like fruit bowls I get it like they're they're things that get passed down and I think it speaks so much to the value and the importance of the hearth that like those are things that get passed down
0: right 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 uh, but I would say, you know, it's like I think people who cook have a witchy bone in their body. D- doesn't, I know, nec- doesn't necessarily work the other way around. I don't I know a lot of city witches who still are not um you know, ace cooks. And that's fine. Not everyone actually grows up learning how to cook. And that's something that I do think is pretty widespread in America in the yeah, year of our I- lord twenty twenty two.
1: I mean I I get that that's a thing that happens. It's so far away from like my personal experience. It's really hard for me to imagine like because one of my most formative moments is like the first thing I was taught and allowed to make for the family was like cheesy scrambled eggs.
0: Uh-huh. And then that was like yes. what I
1: did when I was like 6. I like made and the scrambled eggs for
0: breakfast. And you had your little job and yeah. you worked your, and you worked your way up and it was like exactly you I mean you had to you had to learn it I you know I think we both come from this background of being the oldest sibling too yeah. so there was a, almost a certain amount of you kind of end up deciding what's for dinner because you're going to start cooking it so yeah um yeah. I mean and that's fine I mean I d- I do not begrudge that aspect of my life because I feel like I came out on top by having like some formative life skills okay um and you know i also i think kitchen witchery does have this low barrier of entry because it is something that pretty much everyone has to do in some form or another um everyone needs things to eat and i would say this is like the the gatekeepiest thing i'm gonna say like this whole segment is that any able-bodied person should know how to make something at home like i
1: wouldn't even call that gatekeepy it's like you should know how to fucking like be a human you should right. not make something
0: like nobody is saying like michelin star quality but like y'all should know how to boil water and it's honestly like a bit crusty to not even be able to like do that you know um but okay so niche place number one because i think kitchen witchery i think oftentimes and there, there is almost kind of like a, a bit of a sexist element to it where it's like it's all about protecting your family and shit. And it's like, okay, but not everyone that's like a witch that also enjoys being in the kitchen is really going for that full like Mima hearth, magic, cottage core vibe. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about where I think I am I'm really bringing a lot to the table, you know, sort of literally, and to turn a phrase, which is Dionysian kitchen magic, because think about, I mean, food and wine have been interlinked forever. Um, Like pretty much, you know, can't have one without the other. I mean, if you're, if you're settled enough to be cooking, you're probably making wine. And that's just the story of civilization. So what I'm, what I'm basically saying is that, yeah, I think, I think it's kitchen witchery when you and your friends are drunk and you bust out the dankaroni
1: oh my god the dankaroni one of my favorite like drunk kitchen memories um I definitely was with Igor but I think you were there too it was the first night I ever sauteed mushrooms in bacon grease
0: and oh, like yeah.
1: the mushrooms soaked up every bit of the bacon grease and it blew my fucking mind how good those mushrooms were.
0: Oh, I no doubt about that. No d- doubt about that. And leave it to a Russian. To right. Give you, to give you good mushroom cooking tips.
1: Yeah, so good. Um, I think there is something about, like, the camaraderie of, like, making food with your friends. Because I feel like there is so much focus on, like, oh cooking's romantic but it's like but it's also like communal and we have so many great yeah dankaroni um making fucking egg drop ramen all the time all
0: the time all the time
1: i love that
0: but you know all of that food was made with like literal love and yeah and you okay but
1: no money and that's the thing it doesn't take money it's like we were fucking impoverished And we made food together.
0: We absolutely made food together. But I think that, you know, it's... If you're going to be into revelry, and you're going to be into, you know, reckless abandon, and you're going to be into that kind of excessive aesthetic, which I certainly am. I mean, I love a bit of maximalism with my wine. Um, I'm a
1: maximalist. I also... One of mine, like... I mean, I don't drink, but on that note of, like, very Dionysian kitchen vibes... I have recently started really loving to like smoke a joint while I'm cooking because there is something that's just like, it really like, first of all, a fire in the kitchen. It's right. But I, there is something about getting like a little inebriated and kind of like letting that lead
0: you. (laughs) Well, and I will say some of the best meals I ever had in my life cooked by my very own mother would be because we were not, you know like a super traditional family my mom is a little off kilter at times in the past she has been for sure and but there would be these times where she would just be like smoking a joint in the kitchen and just all of a sudden there's like a full breakfast yeah like and because you just start going and then you're like oh yeah well I was just gonna fry up a few bacon slices and have a little snack but now I'm uh also doing fried potatoes and onions and I'm um frying eggs And well you know I guess if I'm gonna fry eggs I might as well put some toast on and
1: whoops it's a full English
0: whoops (laughs) it's a full English no um which I you know what fuck a full English I don't want beans for breakfast like everything else mm -mm. fine sausages eggs great even grilled tomatoes tomatoes yes grilled tomatoes with eggs yes
1: Oh my god, Beams? I love Fuck I love off. making I love making a scramble. Eric always jokes about it cuz I'm I always make like really veggie filled scrambles for breakfast. That's like what I do and I'll do like tomatoes and peppers and like arugula and shallots and garlic and then at the end just like throw in a couple of eggs and cheese. Oh yeah. Bam. Breakfast.
0: Yeah. No, and really, what a good breakfast. Cuz I remember The first time I stayed in LA, you made, it was like a leftover zucchini that you had cooked. And you made a, and you just made a big ass zucchini frittata and then just reached out your window and picked an avocado. (laughs) That, and that, that was, fuck that was magical. That was magical as fuck.
1: Yeah. I mean, there is something that's just so special about it. And I think that there's like, again, it's, I do think this is the thing, especially in modern times, like as millennials and people that don't have children is I do want to like yeah kind of like reclaim the communal aspect that's like not necessarily familial in the kitchen and not romantic like it's there is something so magical like speaking about the magic of friendship right um it's like that love and that transfer of like emotions and the way it like makes memories and like it helps basically serve as a framework for the way that you remember your life it's like my my strongest memories are around good meals
0: oh no absolutely and what I will say too is that in a strictly platonic way of course you will know so much about someone after you have yeah. cooked a meal with them
1: oh definitely definitely it's like you definitely learn a lot about people like from the way they cook the way they season and whether or not they clean as they go because i can't stand people that don't i don't understand it
0: i mean okay you know it's like i try to be tidy in the kitchen
1: you tidy as you go you tidy as you go
0: um but i will say you know i have i have unleashed some madness in the kitchen of a drunken evening
1: okay well that doesn't count when we're having our Dionysus (laughs) moment in the kitchen like the number of times I've woke I woke up like in college and I was just like what the fuck did we do in that kitchen um but you know I think it's like it is there's so much personality about it like it's a really special there's
0: there's also like no reason what that when we would be putting like two pounds of cheese into pasta that that should have worked without like a bechamel or some butter or like anything to kind of like melt it all together, but
1: but bam, put it on a tortilla and you got a dancaroni ta- taco. And
0: you and you, you're gonna go ahead and have a dancaroni taco and you're gonna love it. Um,
1: Being nineteen,
0: but okay, I did want to talk about something else that I've been into, kind of in the world of like, is it kitchen witchery? where it's like foraging TikTok. So it's like Black Forager, Appalachian Forager, both making incredible names for themselves in the food community doing this work with foraging. Uh, Love them both. Um, You know, uh, what is it? Alexis Nicole. And I think Appalachian Forager is called Whitney. I think they're just the coolest ladies on the internet. Um, And I think it's, I think it's, kitchen witch adjacent to really be thinking about like what's in your local environment that you could be eating.
1: yeah. I think it's something that I'm like so I'm so into. And I think it's like the thing to me that makes it feel so witchy is that it's good for the environment and it's sustainable. And like as witches, we are stewards of the planet in a way that I think is really important, especially in the era of climate change. And so I think number one, it's better for the planet. It's better for you to eat things that are in season where you are. But I think there is something about it that brings you so close to the earth. And like, I can't forage a lot where I live, but the closest vibe I get is like when I'm picking stuff from my garden and eating it, it's like that connection you have where it feels like direct to the earth, as opposed to like you went to Whole Foods and bought some produce. It's like picking something, like getting to know it, seeing the plant, knowing where it comes from. There's also that opportunity, I think, to kind of like, kind of like give props to the plant that's giving you the fruit or the vegetable or the herb you're eating, you know, kind of that like little offering exchange moment that feels so magical.
0: Well, no, and I just, I think the culture around that, like, you know, for all I know, I mean, there's no, like, religious or political bent to either of those channels, but, like, for all I know, they're both, like, good Christian ladies who go to church every Sunday, and, um, you know, th- maybe they don't have a witchy bone in their body, but, like, I don't know. I just don't think you could spend that much time outside, like, hanging out with trees and bees and shit and not be a little cuckoo witchy kind of vibe
1: a hundred percent it's almost like the more time you spend in nature the more witchy you get because you're like oh yeah no this planet is fucking magical well
0: and I especially love Appalachian forager because I mean mushrooms are apparently one of the more forageable things uh, because literally mushrooms break down everything that dies in a natural environment Basically, I mean, some kind of fungus is going to do it.
1: But you gotta be real careful.
0: (laughs) But you gotta be real careful. But I think it's good to like educate people because really it's like, there really is so much just free food out there.
1: Yeah, and it's like capitalism wants to trick us into thinking there's not enough, but
0: there's enough. And I do think, you know, it's like with mushrooms. Yeah, there's so many like deadly lookalikes and just stuff that's going to make you sick, sick, sick but really I I personally like believe that there's a little bit of a conspiracy around foraging and like it it's made out to be a lot more dangerous than it actually seems to be.
1: I think it's mostly just mushrooms that are pretty dangerous. I think other stuff is like a lot safer. I think
0: it depends well, it, on it, where it you kind at. of it kind of gets into the sassafras thing, going back to Black Forager too, where it's like uh, sassafras, you know, they like definitely discouraged people from using sassafras for a long time because it was found to have this um carcinogen uh, in like the roots and like the inner bark. But actually, nutmeg has like five times as much of the same carcinogen in it. Uh, and it's really, it's just like there is misinformation out there and it's like also if you look at the study where they that they did on rats they were like injecting them with high 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 doses of essential oil which had oh, hu- yeah. which had huge concentrations of this known carcinogen compared to like a fresh bark or a fresh leaf or a fresh shoot if you will like night and day Um, Yeah.
1: Herbalists everywhere have been talking about this problem in the pharmaceutical industry too, where it's like, um, you have to look at how those studies were done. Because a lot mm -hmm. of times it is that where it's like, or they'll like isolate one piece of it, like one chemical to do the study. Um, I would just say, I think if you're interested in foraging, like get yourself a local foraging guidebook, because it's like, I found one that's it's on my christmas list. If I don't get it, I'm going to buy it for myself. But there's like a foraging California book. Like find your local foraging book, get to know stuff, get to know your local like um it's like usually at universities, there's people that work in like the biology department and stuff that'll like answer mycology questions because guys like academics love to answer your weird questions about mushrooms you just have to oh, find yeah. which one to
0: talk to yeah. it's like I I. that's one of the things I do love about reddit you know as like twitter is falling apart I mean Twitter's just I always thought of twitter as just kind of a goofy place anyway like I'm on there for the jokes but um, oh my god the
1: mycology reddit is everything the I'm mycology on, like,
0: reddit is so good I
1: love it everyone that's like what is this slime um that's so much fun
0: the the succulent reddit is really good uh
1: I'm on a lot of arborist reddits too
0: my home page
1: is all like astrology mushrooms and houseplants okay actually that that tracks that tracks that
0: that that actually does uh I'm checking my notes here and that actually does track
1: (laughs) that tracks Uh, I love that I do love the idea of like foraging as witchery because it It feels very witchy.
0: No, absolutely. Well, and I just think, you know, like thinking about like what is actually just kind of right around you. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. I am one of those people that if there's like uh, wild garlic or like wild green onion in someone's yard, like I'm going to pull it. Like, I'll be like, hey, do you use Roundup? No, I'm going to pick that.
1: Yeah. And most people are totally cool with it. But Uh, I will say, don't be. Hold on. I got to put my water down um don't be the fucking weirdos though that will pick tomatoes from people's fucking plants i'm like people do that people are weird people have like taken my plant like my vegetables before from my plants and i'm like
0: you need to like go out on your porch with like a shotgun like Mima style
1: I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to, but no, I think, and that's something we have in LA a lot too, where like, um, everyone has like citrus trees and stuff. So like, we have a friend whose house had a big, like, orange tree, and she would always just bring us a fuck ton of oranges because you cannot eat all of them, and no. so it's like, a lot of people will have neighbors and stuff. Like, there's always lemons and things for free in the kitchen at my office because. For trees, especially, it's like there's no way one family is eating all of that. Um, But also, if you are someone that lives somewhere with, like, big fruit trees and stuff, look to see if you have a local nonprofit that will harvest it for a food pantry. Because there is an organization in Los Angeles that will do that, and they'll go out to people's houses to, like harvest especially the upper areas of their fruit trees to take the fresh fruit and stuff to local food banks which is a really cool thing to keep in mind.
0: I I do love that like especially in California where people <laughs> landscape with fruit trees because y'all are fucking psychos.
1: ha! <laughs> oh, LA is weird. It shouldn't exist.
0: It shouldn't exist and you've got fruit trees growing in your yard. So
1: <laughs> and avocado trees for fun.
0: Just for fun to use. Um I actually wanted to talk about I've I've told you this offline but like a situation that I had in my kitchen um where it was one of those things where you know I just I felt so good and this is that if we were doing when did you feel the magic this week that week because this was before we started doing that as a segment it would have been that because okay so tangerines we 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 know we know when we love tangerines do we not we do and did you know that magically speaking tangerines are associated with euphoria
1: i love that i love Uh, that
0: and one of the only times in recent memory where i can genuinely say that i felt euphoria was while eating a tangerine
1: i do love that i did find another weird food thing today when I was going through Cunningham, that apparently um pistachios in Arab culture are said to be an antidote to love potions. So we're oh, gonna have to talk funny. about those at some point. Oh yeah. Anyway, but tangerines, oh my god, I do love tangerines.
0: But literally, okay. Mm-hmm. So I was wearing I was wearing these headphones because I actually um I wear these headphones as like my main headphones a lot because I like that they cover my ear, um, because my ears get sore wearing like earbuds. Yeah, they, they don't with these. So, um, fun fact about me: I have ve- I have a very tight ear hole. Oh,
1: that's hot.
0: Isn't that so hot? That's like, so hot. You, you can barely you can barely get your little finger in there. It's so oh, tight. It's so tight. Oh my tight.
1: god! <gasps>
0: um, but no. So I was listening to um Amy Winehouse because sometimes. That's what you listen. That's what you're listening to when you experience uh, one little second of euphoria. But I was eating this tangerine and I was like, "Oh my god, this is the best fucking thing I've ever eaten in my goddamn life!" And I just literally felt my brain like give me one little drop of serotonin.
1: Ugh, so polite of your brain.
0: So polite. Um, And I was riding that high for like a day and a half. No shit. Love it. Um. Okay. So. Here's a here's a here's a good segue. Here's a good segue. So um I wanted to ask, what about your kitchen would you say gives it a hearthy vibe rather than just like a kitchen vibe?
1: Ooh, okay. That's a really good question. I think for me, well, for me personally, I have plants in my kitchen, which I love. I've got my calatheas in there because they love humidity. Um, but I think that one of the things that personally I like the most about it is it's very maximalist it's like I think that the decor has a lot to do with the vibe in -hmm. the kitchen and I just love that so like the entire back of our oven is covered in like (laughs) there was like a brewery that did Game of Thrones beers and we have the entire collection of like the Game of Thrones bottles that are really cool um we also have like glass fronts on our cabinets so it's like I love having all of our dishware in there um and I think that having this kind of like it is kind of a cottage core very cluttered vibe in the kitchen to me feels really hearthy I also have I like hand knit from like t-shirt yarn a little like mat that's in front of my kitchen sink And one of my very favorite things that I have in my kitchen that to me feels just like so witchy and hearty, is I have little like bowls and I have a bowl that has my like gray Celtic sea salt in it that I pinch from and I have like an open bowl that has garlic in it and I have my like fruit bowl that has lemons. And there's something I think too about having like food and things out on the counter as opposed to like all being put away that makes it feel less like sterile. So I I don't know for me I feel like I've cultivated a very cottagey aesthetic in my kitchen and also the fact that like people just hang out in there. It's like I always end up hanging out with people in my kitchen.
0: I, I think you know some of the most important and impactful conversations I've ever had in my life have been leaning up against a kitchen counter.
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. And like, why, why else would you be in a kitchen except for to like, have wonderful, meaningful moments with the people you're in there with? Mm -hmm. Um, I also am like a big fan of like, not having the like super minimalist kitchen. I don't know, something no, about it, I it don't, feels I, so
0: sterile. I don't care for that. I don't I love my little tchotchkes
1: Yeah. And all my I like my stuff. tchotchkes I want my like I want my cool kitchen gadgets like to be easily accessible. I'm happy with the fact that my like Loch Ness monster nesting spoons sit on my counter because that's where they go.
0: That's where they go. So um I was going to say so I feel like in my kitchen it's definitely the little cottage shaped cookie jar
1: oh my god i love your cookie jar it is so cute
0: because that thing literally sat on my grandma's countertop for my whole life um and now it's on my countertop and i feel like
1: we should post a picture of our like vintage hand-me-down cookie jars because i have that creepy clown cookie jar
0: which is uh creepy and delightful at the same time
1: as most vintage cookie jars
0: are, but yeah, love my little cookie jar. I love my cat teapot. I think that
1: oh my God, yes,
0: it's it's a little cottagey. It's a little, um, it's it's even a little cottage core, and I, I mean,
1: th- I learned the term goblin core recently, which is kind of like a more witchy cottage core. So maybe it's goblin core.
0: <laughs> but you know, and I've got I've, I do have uh my tea kettle on the stove at all times ready to oh, go
1: same I've got my mustard yellow tea kettle out
0: um a tradition that I I, th- I think I can take credit for starting probably because I think probably I think Corey wanted to buy you one I think was the thing but then I picked it out
1: I mean yeah because I have I had the yellow one that was gifted uh-huh from from one of y'all and then I replaced it with a newer. Like slightly nicer mustard yellow one that has like just a nicer spout, but I got another mustard yellow one.
0: <laughs> yeah, because not because you're always gonna have a yellow teapot. Now that's just like yeah.
1: Well, which is great because the accent wall in my kitchen is dark green, so I love and, having yeah. like the blues and yellows.
0: Blues and yellows, blues and yellow like my teal phone case, you know. Hey girl. Um, uh, I'm still living that 2009 fantasy where like everything is like teal and hot pink.
1: Mm, i'm i'm about that teal and mustard yellow life those were my wedding
0: colors oh sure 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 but do you remember when that was like the the ultimate like color clash like you know all the like oh, graphic yeah. t-shirts were like teal and pink
1: yeah um, that was the time
0: because they're, they're those colors are very different from each other um, they
1: are they are
0: <laughs> but okay no 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 um but yeah love my love my cat teapot. I personally um, love having like the little stack of cookbooks on top of the fridge too. I mean, all of them are my roommates, but it was my idea to have them in there. Um,
1: I do love that. I, uh, mine are in a pantry now because I kept them out in the kitchen for a long time, but then I got tired of cleaning grease off of them.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. That's a, you know, that's a, that's a concern. That's a concern. Um, but no, I, also am a huge fan of like graphic tea towels and so like anytime i'm you know at the store and they have the seasonal stuff out we actually basically use the halloween ones year round at this point but like
1: same
0: uh and i think that's it's part of it it's it's like yeah it's like a spooky Mima lives here
1: i have a tea cow that says bewitching in the kitchen um, I also have one that's like hocus pocus. I have one that is uh, spider printed. I have one that has like really cool kind of like dark academia, like sketches of herbs on them. Um, I am actually embroidering tea, like kitchen tea towels for my family members for Christmas. And so I'm like, I'm literally embroidering kitchen towels for people for the holidays.
0: And I would I would say that's that counts as kitchen witchery. Because if we if we really circle back around to like the main subject, it's like one of my favorite things about kitchen witchery as an idea. Because I mean there is like an herbalism aspect to it where like you could look at the the herbal, the herbalists qualities of the things you're cooking with, but really if you're if you're going to be using that much of a thing in your food um that's not really like a seasoning at that point that's kind of more of a main ingredient isn't it um, yeah
1: i think it's where it's like good to get to know about like nutritive plants that you know uh-huh. it's, like things like nettles that you can like put into greens and things like turmeric but yeah it's like that's just just like only like one sliver of But i would say,
0: but i would say that like the intention you're setting is really yeah. kind of where the the juice is coming from.
1: I'm also a big fan of like stirring directions and mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like I love you, doing
1: stirring directions.
0: Because you know I'm doing that shit when I'm behind a bar too.
1: Yeah. Oh, I can only imagine. I mean, every morning I make like a special cold brew coffee for it's we talk about it as our, it's my walk bevy. And mm-hmm. it's like I do a cold brew coffee with like a scoop of like this greens powder that I use plus some motherwort and bacopa tincture and you know I'm stirring that clockwise and thinking about my good intentions for the day (laughs) and it's like but it's such a small little thing that becomes so much a part of like just being a witchy human that you don't even necessarily actively think about it anymore which is the great thing I think about kitchen witchcraft is it's like it becomes part of your lifestyle which sounds so silly when you say it that way but it's but it's true it like just becomes a part of your everyday.
0: well and I would say there have definitely been times like when I made that lemony chicken soup last year and then I was like this literally made me feel so much better I'm going to like reverse engineer this whole thing and like because I just, you know, I I'm definitely someone who likes to cook intuitively. I could say I'm gonna make something like chicken noodle soup, and then I go to the store, and obviously yeah, I'm gonna get the same chicken and noodles regardless. But then, you know, where you you go to produce, that's when it gets interesting. Because you're like, am I gonna put a turnip in? Am I gonna yeah. put fennel in? Am I but gonna put what looks good? It's like, am I gonna put, um, you know, dry seasoning in? Am I gonna get fresh? Time am I, you know, like what am I? What what is gonna end up being in here? Yeah, um, it's like
1: unless I'm baking recipes, just give me like an outline of the general right. idea of where I'm Why? going.
0: Like you know what chicken soup is supposed to taste like.
1: Yeah, I you know-, know what's in a breakfast taco. I don't have to follow a recipe for a breakfast taco. No, I'm gonna go and see what you looks definitely good. don't.
0: And actually, I always loved um, when I lived next to Cali. Because she would do just, like, she would just simmer down, like, beans and peppers as, like, a taco filling. And, like, each time it was a little bit different based on what was looking good at the store. But it was, like, something like that that's so simple, but so good every single time.
1: again, like you said, it doesn't have to be, like, Michelin star, like, complicated, difficult. Like, doing something really simple really well is where it's at, honestly.
0: And I I kind of want to talk a little bit today too about the importance of keeping kitchen witchery like a more open practice and not get super gatekeepy with it. Um and really what I wanted to talk about is this kind of intersection of like witchy culture and diet culture. Yeah where we start talking about, like, food purity and whether or not yeah. things are low-vibrational.
1: get the because, fuck out of here with that.
0: Because that really does make me gag. And it's like, you know, I think coming from a food culture of poverty, so much of the food that I like and would cook uh, would be considered very, quote-unquote, low-vibrational by, like, some of these f- freaking gatekeepy food weirdos on the internet that are like in meta they're in they're in our spheres they're like in metaphysical and spiritual spheres
1: yeah it's like don't let them repackage their eating disorder as a spiritual practice and sell it back to you
0: no and that's like really what a lot of what i see happening yeah um especially when we get into like the when people say low vibrational I'm like I'm literally going to skip this video this podcast whatever it's like
1: unfollow unf- yeah.
0: no because I was doing you know for this segment one of the things that I always do when I'm doing my research is I will listen to other people's podcasts about um kitchen witchery and then when it starts going into kind of like what kind of foods you should eat or like you know what does and doesn't count it's like no.
1: That's what I always say, I'm like, so as someone who has struggled with an eating disorder forever, and anyone who has an eating disorder knows it's like you don't stop having an eating disorder, right? It's like something you deal with. And I think the spiritual woo community is very um, it can be very enabling for orthorexic type behavior, mm-hmm. which is why for me with herbalism and when I'm thinking about foods that are really good for you, I just Something that has been helpful for me, and if one person hears this and it's helpful, that's all that matters. It's like, instead of thinking about foods you shouldn't eat, think about foods that like you want to add to things that you love because they bring good stuff to the table. So instead of saying like, I'm not going to eat this, it's like this time of year, I try to add more ginger and turmeric to stuff, right? Because it's like good for your immune system and like has lots of vitamins. So thinking about food as additive as opposed to taking away, I think can be a really helpful mindset shift for people with eating disorders.
0: Well, and I just, I, you know, I just feel like there is so much like healing that can be done in a kitchen. Yeah. And I'm literally just strictly talking about like the act of cooking, again, making you feel connected to people from your past Um, making you feel connected to like just humanity in general and just thinking about all the people that came before you that had to be that had to be in the kitchen every single day feeding families Um, yeah because you might not want to have a family but you do come from a long line of people that had families so um, pretty much all your ancestors had families how does that make you feel like I'm part of it (laughs) <laughs> that it that it's taken that it's taken two million years for your genetic line to make the conscious decision to not have kids. Hey, girl, hey. Hey, girl, hey. Um It ends with me. It ends. My bloodline ends here. But no, I. Do, <laughs> but you know, and it's like I don't. I don't want to get too woo woo with it. But you know, you. I feel like there's a a certain energy that does kind of take over when you're like in the kitchen and you just like know what the fuck you're supposed to be doing. Um, yeah agree and I think and I think that that's like that's like kitchen witchery like I don't think it's really I mean but also one of the trends that I saw that I really do kind of like kind of creeping in is like using sigil magic in your cooking because
1: oh my god I love putting sigils on bread
0: I was gonna (laughs) say because like I know a lot of people who can do like breads and and stuff like that but like who but who don't actually like cook because like you know standing in front of a simmering pot of like soup or stew or whatever for like hours and hours and hours I enjoy that I enjoy the fuck out of that everything I cook is like that in some respect or another and that is where I really kind of like feel magical about it right you're a
1: low and slow queen
0: low and slow queen and it's like it's really this almost kind of saturnian thing where it's like i'm a person person who does not have patience but i have learned how to be patient with cooking um more so than, than like almost any other area of my life but i feel like it does kind of help in other areas of your life to learn a little bit of fucking patience like you are you don't want to serve something that's not ready yet exactly so you have to be willing to wait for gratification, and that's, that's got Saturn written all over it. Um, but I would also just say to anyone out there that's, like, looking more into kitchen witchery, like, try to, you know, try to branch out a little bit, because you might realize that you're more of a baker. You might realize that you are a, a sauce-slash-pasta queen, because I will tell you, I cannot do pastas at home because my sauce never comes out like the right texture like I tried to make like a homemade tomato sauce like literally one time and it was so watery and I was like I followed the directions and I don't know what I did wrong and why God hates me um
1: oh my god well speaking of pasta one of my favorite pastas I used to make I don't think I'm gonna be able to do anymore because I officially had a really bad allergic reaction to Brie it finally oh, happened. Oh,
0: no. That's happened to me. That's happened to me. Yeah.
1: So, yay. What, what did you,
0: did you, did you get, like, um did you get, like, rashy around your neck, or?
1: um I got wheezy, and my tongue, because yeah. it's, like, my tongue it's... spoiled a little bit,
0: uh-huh.
1: and, like, I, uh, yeah, it was, like, my entire, like, my face felt like my skin was too tight. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's that's, great. It's great. That, that's an allergy. All right. So, I think we're gonna leave it there. Um, I did wanna say, actually, I did want to end with something that I thought was an kind of interesting topic, um, which is like what forbidden flavor do you think? Okay, so for me, like one of my top answers is like mountain laurel. Mountain laurel is a little bit poisonous, but if you could make me a cake that tasted like how mountain laurel smells, I would like eat the fuck out of that.
1: Ooh. Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, I think for me, and this is like, I think this makes sense for me. I love the smell of like fall in the woods, like that kind of dirty leaf smell, which I think is why I like things like matcha and things that taste like dirt. But it is that like super earthy, like literally things that just taste like dirt, I think are really where it's at for me.
0: You know, I was gonna say my other one that I actually um, did some research about, and this this is gonna just maybe blow your mind. But you know how I'm always talking about how I love the smell of sycamore trees in the fall, yeah, and like when the leaves fall and it kind of smells like cinnamon. Yeah. Um, and I'm I, I'm always saying this on and off the air, on and off the air. I'm talking about I'm just obsessed. I'm obsessed with the smell of sycamore leaves in the fall. Um. And they're also usually the crunchiest leaves, so like double points for that because it's fun to step on them. Um, and then they release more of that smell, and then um, you know.
1: And then anyway. Nick's a happy camper.
0: And then I'm just so happy. But I actually found out that um, that those are, I mean, those the leaves are food safe. I mean, you don't eat the leaves, but um, I found this recipe, an old Cajun French recipe. So you know, you know, I'm like into this already. It's a. It's of your people. It's a stuffed duck leg wrapped in sycamore leaves to keep it from dried out, drying out. Ooh. And so you supposedly get a little bit of the flavor of the sycamore tree uh, into your duck meat. Um,
1: My mouth just watered.
0: So, I also think you should, you know, I think it's interesting to, like, think about stuff like that because sometimes you will find something like a sycamore leaf where you just like, man, I wish I could taste that. And then you, and then you look it up and you're like, wait, I, I could, I could have, I could have been doing that the whole time.
1: Delicious.
0: So now I well, got to find, now I got to find a sycamore tree that's 50 feet away from the road um, and start harvesting. Cause those are some big leaves. So you'll only need a couple for a duck leg.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, Well, Nick, before we get going, I think we should do our asks. Oh, baby before asks. Before we do the last segment um rate review subscribe y'all download the episode uh reach out to us at and Pod on instagram pod at gmail.com you can join our patreon which is patreon.com slash uh i think that's really all we need to say so you know
0: we're, we're pretty interactive on there so if you want to tell me what forbidden flavor appeals to you the most i'd love to hear from someone about that
1: yeah because rotting logs is maybe not for everyone but it is for shannon um, so I mean,
0: I will, I will drink a big gnarly cup of pu'er tea. So I, I kind of get it. I would drink, I would drink swamp water. I, I, if it tasted like how it smelled. Exactly.
1: I'm like, I love the way like, like damp forests smell. Um. So, but we've talked about the tua De Danann, y'all, many times. So you're gonna know like a bit of the background generally about like the gods of Celtic Ireland. Um, but specifically today I'm talking about Gian Kecht, uh, sometimes referred to as Kanta, who was the god of healing and the physician for the Tua So his father was the Dogda. So the Dogda is like the father deity of the Celtic pantheon. Um, we've talked about him before. He's also called like the good god, which I'm like, that's so sweet. How polite. Um, Dion Kecht was also one of the five chieftains of the Tua, um, along with King Nwagda, Dagda, Agma, and Gwabnu. And he had six children. So his son, Miach, and his daughter, Araved, and they those two became healers like him. And there's a reason I'm mentioning them specifically. Um, but he also had another son, uh, Kian, who was... Lu's father. So Gian Kecht is also like the forefather of one of the most important Celtic deities. We know Lu's kind of a big deal. Lunasa, hi. So there's a lot of super impressive medical talk in some of these stories. So I've, I I kind of wanted to cover just like one of the big ones. So Gian Kecht claimed that he could heal any injured man unless they were beheaded or had a severe spinal injury, which I appreciate a man who knows his limits. So he was a patron of medicinal water. And because of that, during the second battle of Moitura, um, you know, when the Tua de were fighting the Fomorians, he found like a source of healing water that he used to heal the injured during the battle. So in the battle, Jiang Kecht actually helps um, King Nuada, the king of the gods, who had his hand cut off. So, you know, he was like in the battle... King Nuada has his like hand chopped off. Ah, fuck. Cheon Kecht is like, huh? I have a great idea. What if I made him a prosthetic using silver? And so he did. He made him like a silver prosthetic hand that functioned basically as well as his real hand. Like, kind of given Hephaestus vibes. Like, I love, I love a precious metal prosthetic in mythology.
0: Oh yeah, uh, that's so glamorous.
1: Truly. Um, and as, like, a silver girl myself, um, I'm here for it. So it, in the time, though, there was, like, this rule, right, that uh, Nuada couldn't be king anymore. Um, He's sometimes also called Silver Silverhand. That's why. But because he wasn't physically perfect, quote-unquote, he wasn't able to stay king. Um, enter Diyang Kek's son, Miok, who actually... Studied and became a better surgeon than his father, and so Miach finds a way to replace Noara's prosthetic with a reconstructed hand made of flesh and blood. So Nuada was able to return to the throne. Like that's dope. Um, but because mythology, uh, Gian Kecht kills Miach because he surpassed his father. Uh, womp womp. So Miyak's sister Aravid, the other physician, said uh, it was said that she wept over his grave, um, and from her tears, three hundred and sixty-five medicinal herbs to treat any ailment grew. So she took the time to catalog the herbs, but again, Dian Kecht was jealous, and because of that, he mixed and scattered the herbs everywhere to prevent them from being used. So this legend, that backstory with Aravet, is actually like the reason they say that no human now knows the healing properties of all the herbs on Earth, which, you know... Um so he has these like really strong ties to healing though, right? So um up until the 8th century CE he was still being invoked in the creation of healing charms and there's the incantations of St Gall which I think are really fascinating because they're they're kind of a really cool example of how Christians used paganism and like the pagans incorporated their own stuff into like ancient christianity so like definitely go like check out saint gaul's incantations um but there's a reference in one of the incantations to a salve by john kecht so really it like was kind of a big deal um he is associated often with like wells we know that wells are a big deal in irish culture but some stories refer to him as having a cauldron not just a well um and his it's either his cauldron or his well the slanya depending on like the story you're reading so if you're someone who wants to work with John kecht uh cauldrons are a great representation of him also offerings of silver but Jiang Kek's not just associated with, like, actual healing, but also the knowledge of the healing arts. So I'm like, hey, if we have any witches that are, like, in medical or nursing school, this might be a good guy to work with. Um, you can really call on him, though, for anything related to, like, healing or medicine. Just, like, make good offerings. He did kill one of his kids. So, you know, you want to, like, come with some respect. But I also just want to, like, say it's, like, Jiankek, yeah, he killed his son. But mythology is mythology, and if you didn't want to work with a deity just because they, like, killed somebody, you would literally have none to work with. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. These were written in a different time. So that's kind of, like, the very brief overview of John Kecht. Um, my sources today were EnchantedGarden.ie, Britannica, and PaganPages.org.
0: Ooh, love the dot .org. That's spicy. Mmm. <laughs> org an hog. okay so it's almost the bitter end you guys and i actually get to give good news this week so <gasps> Woo! um so this week and i left my cards in in the other room so we're just going to have to do uh not not do show and tell but um i got the two of cups for capricorn um so our they little horny <laughs> our our little horny seagoat baby is Um, So this shows that you might be entering a new relationship and mazel tov, Um, although, you know, it's always not necessarily romantic. Um, I think kind of the idea here is that um, whatever this new thing is in your life, it's mutually beneficial. I mean, think about filling each other's cups, so to speak. Um, So this could even be in the realm of business Um, or even just like a breakthrough in your current relationship could be on the horizon as well. Um, so I, I, you know, good, it's good news. It's good news. And, you know, maybe if you are seeing something along those lines, this could be your sign to lean into it a little bit.
1: Here's your uh, sign.
0: Because it could be good for you. Could be good for you, you know
1: jeff foxworthy voice um i'm sorry i'll see myself out
0: yeah no we can we can actually go now we can cut there we can cut there (laughs) (laughs) all right Uh, okay so what do we say to all the kitchen bitches
1: to all you kitchen bitches blessed be kitchen bitches
0: blessed be kitchen bitches don't stir that (laughs) cauldron too hard (laughs) goodbye bye now
1: Um, Man, I took a mental health day today and then took an accidental nap. So that's what I'm coming from.